with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, Trudy Clausen here. I am very pleased to have two guests with me this morning, and Dr. Annie Booth from UNBC, Professor of Environmental Studies. Environment and Sustainability Studies. Environment and Sustainability <laughs> Studies. And Cheryl Weir, who is a community organizer. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Um, uh, so first I'm going to offer both of you a chance just to introduce yourselves, you know, take a minute, whatever you want. Uh, Dr. Booth, we'll start with you. Sure. Uh, I'm a professor up at the university. I've been there. This is going to be my 30th year, amazingly enough. Uh, Whoa. I, I know. Is that <laughs> I, like that was, you were there at the very beginning then? I was there before there was even a building in the ground. Oh, my. So uh, I have been here for a while. Uh, and one of the things that I study, for example, is... Uh, tree cover, green space, preservation uh, of nature. Uh, and after 30 years, what I'm witnessing and, you know, why I'm involved in these sorts of things is the fact that the city of Prince George doesn't actually seem to value its green space, Ouch. which is one of the major assets the city actually has. Uh, and so for the last few years, I've had my students working on issues of green space preservation. This year, they'll be working on wildlife preservation uh, in addition to some more green space work uh, because I live here, too. Uh, and I would like to see green space, wildlife continue because it's one of the real attractions of this city. All right. Thank you, Dr. Booth. Mm -hmm. And I will, I, you know, I realized I've started without sort of a title or what we're going to be talking about. We're mm -hmm. going to be talking about urban trees, mm -hmm. urban forests, urban green space. And, uh, and, and, and so Dr. Booth comes as a professional and Cheryl comes to us as a community mm -hmm. organizer, just concerned about the enjoyment of that public mm -hmm. space. So mm -hmm. uh, can you introduce yourself? <laughs> well, I'm Cheryl Weir, and uh, this is one of my favorite parks. I've been... Which one? Moore's Meadow Nature Park okay. is one of my favorite places, as it is with a lot of other people who also go there. When we notice that there would be some encroachment in the future on the, on one side of the meadow that would completely alter the value of that park and take away something that the city should really be looking after and expanding, then that was that was a problem to me and many other people, so we started a petition. Okay, well, I, we're going to uh, go there later because I think that's really interesting. What, <clears throat> what you just said is that mm -hmm. the that doing something at one end of the, of the park will have an impact that will change mm -hmm. the whole thing. So we'll, we'll come back on that later. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about the issue that is at top of... Well, <laughs> I'm sure it's not at the top of mind for everyone in the city. However, open your house door and you welcome in all these little fluffy things and open your garage door and soon your garage is full, full of all these fluffy things. Everywhere we go... We are uh, inundated with almost everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. We're in, inundated with cottonwood fluff. Yes, Doctor Booth, you're, this is your area. What what are what are, what is this fluff? The trees are reproducing. This is the fluff that carries their seeds out there, uh, so that can land in suitable ground and produce more little cottonwoods. Uh, in my house. 
Well, no, but, you know, the wind carries where the wind carries. And if it lands on your dog or it lands on your car, it's pretty harmless. But this is how cottonwood reproduces. It just happens to be, this is why my voice is a little hoarse. A lot of people have allergies to it, including myself, but it's useful stuff. Well, I, I was pointing out to uh, to Annie that, uh, and is it okay if I call you Annie? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that, well, here she is. She's fighting for the trees mm-hmm. and they are attacking her. Like, how unfair is that? Oh, it's terrible, but, you know, the immune system is what it is. Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay. Um, But you also had an interesting factoid about about cottonwood. What's What's the proper name for it? Well, it's, it's cottonwood fluff. Cotton, you know, the okay. cotton, yeah. We're talking about um, cottonwood fluff. Okay. Yeah, there, no, during World I've War. I've often yeah. looked at it and gone, there's got to be a use for it. It looks like mm-hmm. down. It looks mm-hmm. like something that could be useful. Yeah, and it was during World War II. Uh, the U.S. Uh, Air Force, uh, because a lot of things were difficult to come by, used to use the cottonwood fluff uh, as insulation in their uh, line officers' jackets. The guys who had to stand out and on the tarmac, where it was very, very, very cold, and because it was readily available, <clears throat> they would collect it and they would use it for insulation in people's coats. So, like, just mm-hmm. like you would stuff something with feathers. Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's very light, which is nice, like down, but it's also very insulating. So can you, could you wash those articles of clothing? Or? Well, you'd spot, you know, you didn't want to dunk it uh, in anything, but you could certainly spot it clean. Much like down, you don't want to do it either. Huh. <clears throat> so <clears throat> well, I had one of those coats. My mother dated a USAF officer for a while, and he, and he gave her her coat and handed it on to me eventually, and it was full of, you know, very elderly cottonwood fluff. Wow. And it was very warm in the winter. Wow. So, I mean, this would, you know, you know, if we want to think, like, mm-hmm. um, what do we call the doomsday preppers? Yes. So if they, you know, in an, in an event of nuclear uh, catastrophe, we should all uh, save some of this dandelion fluff. In it's useful house. stuff. It really is. Aside <laughs> from my allergies, provide, yes. Not only will it provide mm-hmm. insulation, but it mm-hmm. can also be used to plant trees. Exactly. Very good. Okay. All right. Um so one of the reasons that I wanted the two of you mm-hmm. to come in and talk is, um, I mean, during the election campaign last fall, um, Ginter's Meadow people were very successful in highlighting uh, the incredible usefulness mm-hmm. of Ginter's Park, how many people were using it, and the fact that the air quality is good there. Mm-hmm. And so they, I think they got agreement from every candidate almost mm-hmm. uh, to say, yes, I will vote to keep Ginter's it's not technically a park, but it's a uh, multi-use area. Multi-use area, as in the you know pretty much the same mm-hmm. state that it is in now. And I know that we're coming up. I mean, this is an OCP year, and so council mm-hmm. will be talking about all of these issues mm-hmm. in terms of you know how are trees important? Like mm-hmm. you know where do we make allowances for trees? All mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. So um, maybe starting with Cheryl, um, because mm-hmm. this is one of the things that that like this is sort of your area of of community activism and trying to preserve Moore's Meadow. So can you just talk a little bit about, about what, what that area means to you and to the people that you are talking to? Well, it goes, it, the trees are very important to us and the plants, it all fits in with the biodiversity, which is really what it's all about. Because if you look after that balance, you will also be maintaining the life of the wildlife. You will get the um, relief from heat 
from the from the green cover. You will also provide the browse and the food those animals need. And how many of us go there with our cameras to take pictures? I do. Mm-hmm. We go walk in the shade on a hot day. It's excellent for exercise. Now, you're not going to exercise out in the broad sunlight. There's a beautiful jogging trails and, and trails. Now, there are many more people with their bicycles going through there um, in the evenings, in the mornings. It's a beautiful place to be. Early in the morning is very cool. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the, like, is it, um, how, do you know how, what the usage is of that park area? There's always somebody there. Yeah. Now, there are times when there are a lot more dog walkers than there are anything else. It seems to be periods of time when you see that. But when you go there, there is always several people you will meet on those trails. Mm-hmm. So so what's the value for, I mean, if you're, I mean, I, well, I guess if we can just think about mm-hmm. it, like compared to walking on a sidewalk mm-hmm. on a city street, yeah. in a suburban street even, mm-hmm. and compared to walking in the, in on a nice trail or path in Moore's Meadow, because there are paths there, correct? Yes. Well, there is a big difference because we are, we um, think better from our feet up. It's a lot easier. When you walk in cultivated city places, it's harder work because you're processing what people have made in a natural environment. This is where we are more at ease. Hmm. And those trees are really important as brows for all mm-hmm. the animals. Because if you look up the plant life there, the plants that grow there, that kind of trees, you can find lists and lists of that if you look them up. The animals depend upon, that's their food. Mm-hmm. People don't know. When they cut down those trees, you are just removing animal habitat. Once you remove that, you remove our partial value because we are part of nature. And yeah, when when all those animals suffer, we do too, because when their world dies, so does ours. We're in. We're just linked. We need to be together. Okay, so Dr. Booth, what is the connection between, um, like, why? Okay, so we're a city. Like Prince George is a city. Yeah. Um, and um, why not? Like what? Are, what is the danger of like? Because you was, you were saying part of part of the reason that you're speaking up about this is the danger of losing trees, and because mm-hmm. we're known for trees. Cheryl has spoken as 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 a resident very mm-hmm. very eloquently about what it means to be walking in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, is Cheryl the only one? Is there some scientific data to support that? Like, what is the what is the deal with with being able to connect with nature? for city residents. Sure, there is actually a lot of research in the last uh, 20, uh, 25 years. Uh, there is a, a phenomenon known as nature deficit syndrome, uh, where it has been demonstrated, for example, that everybody likes to study children. Children who aren't exposed to nature, to green space, actually have uh, difficulty focusing, difficulty learning. Uh, they, they grow up uh, literally deficit in some areas. Uh, it's Suggestive, and it's you know it's hard to prove definitively about humans, uh, of course, uh, that when we lose our exposure to to the natural world, right? I mean that's that was what we were raised in historically as a species. Yeah. Towns are a fairly 
late uh, acquisition in, in human culture, right? Um, it starts to affect our ability to memorize. It affects our ability to learn. It affects our ability to concentrate. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that the stimuli that a natural piece of space provides, right, which isn't thun, 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 uh, of, of a city, is actually really critical in the ability of humans to reflect, to integrate information, to acquire information. Uh, for example, uh, when my students are starting to get stressed out at the university, it's, um, evidence suggests if you go for a walk in nature, you actually will do better on tests. Your memory will be better. So that's a very direct correlation. You go outside, you sit in nature for a little bit, you listen to the birds, uh, you look around. You're actually going to improve your test scores because the body not only relaxes. I mean, the human body is in a constant state of arousal in the middle of a city, fight or flight. In nature, you're just a little bit more relaxed. You're able to focus. You're able to think. You're able to make longer-term decisions, and your memory, including your long-term memory, improves. Those are pretty significant issues for a human to grow up healthy, well-adjusted, but particularly for children. <laughs> We're mm-hmm. in the middle of a school district by-election. Yes. And I just came from a breakfast meeting with mm-hmm. a few candidates, and I was thinking just broadly about all the difficulties that our schools are facing mm-hmm. with students having all of those issues that you just talked about, lack of concentration, mm-hmm. losing all of these things. I mean, according to what you just said, if we integrated more of nature into our schools, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, I mean, we could just go all kinds of places with that. Um, but it isn't just schools. There, there's a lot of studies that demonstrate, for example, hospitals. Uh, people who are in hospitals, uh, increasingly in the States, uh, hospitals are putting in green areas uh, because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that people are in hospitals recovering from heart attacks, strokes, yeah. things like that. They actually recover faster if they are able to either access green space or even just see in the green space from the window. window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will improve. Now, that's a very, very uh, clear indicator. Nobody forces you to get better, but the fact somebody will actually get better faster if they're exposed to green space suggests it's a pretty profound effect uh, on the human body. Right. So whether it's kids or whether it's people recovering or whether it's adults just trying to make it through the next day, the ability to access nature, easily access nature is pretty critical. Hmm. Well, you know what? It is time for a break. We'll be back uh, talking about the impact of trees and urban Mm -hmm. green space and urban forests and all of that on our mental health. We'll be back after this. Hello, I'm Carlos Núñez, the Galician Piper. We're the Ducks. Hey, this is Tim Brennan with the Dropkick Murphys. Hey, this is Dave King from Flag and Molly. Sean Smith from Lunasat. Karen Casey here. This is Ian Byrne from the Elders. Join me, Patricia Fraser, for the best Celtic music mix. Celt in a Twist, Canada's contemporary Celtic radio hour. Celt in a Twist with your host, Patricia Fraser, Tuesday nights at 8, following the Coffee House with Eric Bennett here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train and sell your business a reluctant general is told to send most of his troops home 
keep only the poorest soldiers and then reduce his forces even further in order to make the odds against him seemingly impossible. How can he hope to win? Dr. Michael Ziegler tells the story of Gideon and how God shows his strength in our weakness. This week on The Lutheran Hour. Be listening for The Lutheran Hour Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today, a high of 31 with a very high UV index. Clear tonight and a low of 9. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 29 with a very high UV index. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we are back um, talking about the impact of urban green space on mental health. I mean, here we are. We're living in a city. Um, what's and we we were just briefly talking about yeah about that impact on our mental health. So, Doctor Booth, if you can pick up on that, you were telling me during the break that Japan actually prescribes spend time spending time in. Mm-hmm. Forests? Yeah, it's called tree bathing. Tree bathing. Yes. Uh, They're finding that when people are uh, suffering from stress, uh, from anxiety, uh, some of the the Swedish Nordic countries are actually starting to do it, and I think Germany is as well, they actually write prescriptions for people to go into the Mm. woods. Huh. It's a lot cheaper than medication, fewer side effects, unless you bump (laughs) into a bear. Um, and it actually does seem to improve. Now, you know, most of us can talk about that anyway. Cheryl's made it very clear how important it is. You know, I mean, before I came here, I was out at Ginter's walking the dogs. Because that regular exposure is actually very important uh, for people then having to go out into the day. We don't really enjoy confronting each other or engaging with each other. There are a lot of studies to suggest uh, that people are actually inherently stressed by other human beings, even the nearest and dearest. But if you expose them to nature, they actually respond in less stressed ways. This is also true around dogs. People actually are less stressed around dogs than their spouses. Mm-hmm. So it's that exposure to nature that actually is very critical. And if you do um, engaging with people who even people who live in like, Toronto, a place I would never move to again. What they remember are trees. They look for dandelions. They remember their exposure mm-hmm. uh, to plant life. Uh, that is so critical to humans that even if they've chosen to live in a highly urbanized, intensive setting, nature is still what attracts their attention. Hmm. Uh, Cheryl, how um, in your efforts to um, to br- highlight attention on Moore's Meadow? The people that you're talking to, does does some of this ring true? Oh, yes. Yeah, I did my own private survey, and, and when I was looking for advice on how to approach this and do it, with none on hand, I went up to visit the university and met Annie. Okay. And she had her students do a um, public survey and the strange the com- the proportions of people like 75%, 72%, 79% exactly matched with what I found in my own, my own private research because I took all the comments that people made and sorted them out into categories and it was the same thing. So um, I thought, well, you know what I say, well, it just comes from what I do. But when it comes with the students doing the work um, with a different group of people in a different place, we've come up with the same, same results. Result. So what were you asking people? Well, I just asked them. I just 
asked them to write their comments, and I just took it from their comments, whereas then Annie's group, they had a planned process with specific questions, and it was strange that the comments I received and sorted out just into specific areas, survey. yes, from the informal survey, which were not that much different, mm-hmm. actually, worked out the same as mm-hmm. the the survey that the university students did it, I, the same it worked out with the same results. So what were some of the comments? Oh, I can tell you. Just one moment, please. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cheryl has brought all kinds of paperwork. It's a tall stack. All right. And she's her. found her document. Very good. Well done. <laughs> well, here's... Um Wild animals need passages to the city. The more available, the less contact with people. Everybody is happy. We provide them with a safe place to stay, and we still get to enjoy those those things. We need to preserve green space. This is a beautiful place to walk your dog and to walk. A very special place, an irreplaceable urban forest with lots of value to the city. Pollinator habitat, wildlife corridor habitat, wild bird habitat, like all forest and green space, it's important for carbon sequestration and climate stability. That's just some. Okay. Wow. Well, very good. Um, did did people talk at all, like when you were asking them, Cheryl, um, did people talk about things like mental health? Or did they not mention it and um and maybe I'll no they did they would talk about stress relaxation, okay. oh, relaxation. if I can find yeah, something so like there. that yeah what they speak about is the beauty of walking there and seeing the animals and the floral business that that's how we de-stress yes so that is mental health it is it is uh annie you were going to say something um yeah last year i did a a cross canada survey on dog parks people who go to dog parks and one of the results that came up um literally right across canada uh is well dogs make you get out uh, but people commented frequently on how important it was to be able to walk their dogs in not an urban space, but in trees, in mountains, uh, in forested areas. And it was COVID time, right? Yes. They said, oh, I wouldn't have survived COVID if I hadn't been able to go walk my dog in uh, these natural settings. They didn't want to hang around cities and chat on the street corners. <laughs> they wanted to be able to get out, walk the dog on the beach, walk the dogs in the forest. And they very clearly linked it directly to their mental health and the ability to get through COVID. Okay. And that was like a thousand responses. Well, I mean, that was my initial, my initial response when COVID uh, lockdowns began mm-hmm. to appear in various forms. Mm-hmm. I, I was appalled personally that that we were that some provinces were telling people they weren't supposed to go outside and it's mm. like wait a minute mm. this is not a good plan oh no it wasn't because <laughs> because it's like we need to be outside and mm-hmm. we knew that even very quite quickly that uh exposure to sunlight that kind of thing was like mm-hmm. being outside was very low risk um i mean there might have been an argument at, you know in the very first month or maybe two months maybe 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 to say people, you know, maybe not, but after that, it should have been that should have been on 
like that should have been always talked about. Get outside, do stuff outside. Yeah, and people did that, right? And the city just did the due diligence by sending bylaw officers out to big parks. You know, there was one at Ginter's, just reminding people to keep Space. separate. Yeah, but people were, you know, I mean, I saw yeah. a lot of people at Ginter's that I did because they just needed to be outside. Well, BC did a did a much better yes. job, I know, than some other provinces. Yeah, Ontario did a bad job. Like it was, yeah, uh, yeah like finding people for being outside. It's like, no, 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 that's mm-hmm. how, and they need yeah. it for their health. It got them through. Yeah, yeah, that's that was. Yeah, I always thought that was very strange that we sort of went in that direction. So with with um, with dog parks, you were saying uh, the difference between just being out walking and mm-hmm. being in trees. And I mean, you've already talked about the Japanese recommending yes. tree bathing, but um, like, is that something that like what is it about the trees? Yeah, let's let's go there. What what is it about the trees that makes sense? Part of it is they're just beautiful. Uh, They tend to be bigger. They tend to be, you know, magnificent. You know, you look at a a big tree that's been around for a really long time. It kind of grounds you and gives you a sense of perspective. Uh, Some of it is actually the chemicals they emit, right? Trees emit a lot of chemicals in their uh, daily lives. We are actually very susceptible to to those chemicals, and they are actually being able, starting to demonstrate that they do have a relaxing effect, right? Uh, This is why they sell that fake pine scent. (laughs) I mean, it's it's really disgusting. The fake pine scent is not, but real pine. It's very evocative. People actually really like it. Uh, so we can actually smell the trees. We can smell the plants. You know, there's nothing quite like, you know, a meadow after it's just rained. You know, all the plants are, are emitting all sorts of chemicals that we are very sensitive to that actually are very relaxing. There's a biochemical exchange between plants, trees, and ourselves uh, that helps us balance ourselves out. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, any gardener... Knows that, yeah. Knows digging that. in the soil, digging smelling the, soil, the plants. Yes. Yeah. yes. Wow. Okay. Well, this is just very enjoyable. So we'll come back after this break. The Seniors Resource Centre has plenty of programs and support services for those 55 plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels. Non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home. And the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council of Seniors Resource Centre between 9 and 3, Monday through Friday at 1330 Fifth Avenue. At Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, we ask numerous diabetics to monitor their blood sugar after enjoying our baked goods and then share the results with us. Some said blood sugar went up, but the change was so mild it was irrelevant. Several said their blood sugar was unchanged, and several others showed us their blood sugar actually went down after eating our baked treats. If you're diabetic, check us out for yourself. You'll love our baking at Deb's Cafe on 7th and Quebec, next to Pharmasave. A reluctant general is told to send most of his troops home keep only the poorest soldiers and then reduce his forces even further in order to make the odds against him seemingly impossible. How can he hope to win? Dr. Michael Ziegler tells the story of Gideon and how God shows his strength in our weakness. This week on The Lutheran Hour. Be listening for The Lutheran Hour Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. You are invited for free cake and coffee. 
Coop's Bike Shop is celebrating their 50th anniversary Saturday. That's right, Coop's Bike Shop has been locally owned and operated for 50 years. Coop's Bike Shop has amazing giveaways and draws, door crasher sales, brand sales reps on site, a fundraising barbecue, plus free face painting by Mandy Pavola. Get your best deals of the year at Coop's Bike Shop's 50th anniversary sale. One day only, Saturday from 10 to 4 at 1659 Nicholson Street. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with Dr. Annie Booth and Cheryl Weir talking about the importance and value of urban green space. Now, um, one question that I had for Dr. Booth, um, Aspen, James Steidel, who mm-hmm. has been a guest on our program and mm-hmm. is, is a, was a city council candidate, he talks a lot about plan, about the... Uh, that we need to plant more aspen rather than pine. But, I mean, I'm from northern Alberta. There's been an awful lot of forest fires there, and there's a lot of boreal forest there. Well, so boreal forest will burn. It just burns much more slowly. Most coniferous trees, pine and spruce and things like that, they are actually literally dependent on fire to assist uh, their reproduction. Oh, so they like to be burnt. They do like to be burned. Um, and remember, the forest fires before humans got involved were relatively small, usually very contained. They, the conditions usually didn't cause mass um, devastation, usually. You, yeah. you got a few. Uh, so the the one advantage of um, uh, deciduous trees is while they will burn, it takes a very long time for them to burn. They don't go poof, right, uh, like a torch, like the coniferous trees do. Uh, and so it allows for, for, uh, firefighters to get in faster uh, to take it out because they're very slow and it doesn't jump. You know, you don't have as much canopy jumping uh, a fire. So... Yeah, it's a better deal. Uh, it also retains water. Deciduous trees have much deeper roots, uh, and so it helps uh, stabilize soil. Uh, once you burn off a f- uh, pine trees, the f- next thing that happens is you get rain and it all slides. Landslides, yeah. Right, because coniferous trees have relatively shallow roots. Okay, so why why have we been replacing um, forest, forested, like um, cut blocks with just uh, coniferous trees? Why have we been Because that's that? the money. Our forest service is is dedicated to profit, uh, so they replace it with not even just uh, coniferous trees, uh, but single species. It's a single species, and it's also actually uh, the the same tree, literally, genetically, it's the same tree. So what they're replacing it is with something that they can cut and make money off of, rather than something that is ecologically uh, beneficial to the area. I grew up in areas, or rather, I lived in areas where uh, the forestry as well as uh, secondary industry was actually dedicated to uh, deciduous hardwoods. We're very dedicated to softwoods. That's what the industry is set up for. And the government doesn't actually seem to care much about ecological integrity and stability so much as they're concerned about the money that the forest companies will kick back. But the consequences of that are the massive forest fires that we are seeing aided and abetted by climate change, uh, a loss of biodiversity, including some species that aren't adapting well uh, to non-mixed uh, forests. Uh, and so these are causing... They're changing the face of British Columbia, and in point of fact, we aren't seeing that re- economic return anymore. As we know, industry is up and moving uh, because of more restrictions, uh, because uh, they want to make money. That is their only intent, and they don't care about the people left behind. We really should be looking at a very different model of forestry, uh, but so much of BC economy is geared up 
my students hate me when I say this, but Canada is basically a third world country with first world aspirations. We are not about a mixed economy. We are about hauling out raw resources, doing a minimal modification, and then shipping them out for processing elsewhere. If you uh, used a lot more hardwoods, you put a lot more effort into tertiary uh, production of products, you would keep industry in small communities rather than, oh, well, the trees are gone, what do we do now, which is what Mackenzie, for example, uh, or, or Tumblr Ridge is actually facing. Uh, and you would have more mixed economy, but you would also have a more mixed ecosystem, which allows for the biodiversity that should always be there. All right. That was... That's a lot that you yeah. just said. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure I'm going to get nasty, you know, notes no, no, about no, no, being a no, no. you know, third world country, but essentially that is our no. economic model. We're a staples economy. I mean, we're hewers of wood and drawers of water, right? I mean, that's the Innes is right. Yes, that's and what I, we are. And I think sometimes when I'm thinking about uh, Prince George, it's like, okay, Prince George, let's like I feel that we could be so much, so much more, right, um, than than just that. And I know that we've got. And I'm not excluding that we have a lot of people who are doing all kinds of different work, and 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 I recognize that. But I think our mindset is still mm-hmm. well. This is just what we are. A single right? resource town. A single resource town. And I think, I mean, we'll either be forced to, or we'll, or we will adapt before it gets to that point. Um, so, um, Cheryl, I think. So uh, Cheryl has a recording for us, but I, I, I wanted to wait a little. I wanted to end the program with that, if we can. Uh, a bird song recording from in from inside Moore's Meadow, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so Cheryl, what do you say to the... So you were talking earlier about allowing even part of Moore's Meadow to be developed damages the whole park. So can you begin to talk about that? If you close that part of the park, you will not have any passageway for the wildlife that live in there to access the river. So they will lose browse. They will lose denning space. Okay, browse means? Means the trees. That means the trees that... that yeah. What the the um, bushes, the the... Bushes that they eat, the berries, the ground growth that they eat that grows there quite abundantly, they will not have any way to live. So we will actually, the meadow will actually lose a great deal. It will die, actually. It will become like Gordon Bryant Park off First Avenue behind the apartments, which is appropriately just totally dead. There is not a bird in the park. There's no bird song there. Um, it is full of garbage. I believe the police go there a great deal. There's a lot of police um, problem with youth and parties down there at night. It is particularly full of garbage. There is no exit. There is no entrance. There is no interest in that area whatsoever. They have not kept it alive as a park. Moore's Meadow has all those elements that a natural nature park needs. It's got access to nature for people. Now, for me... But, yeah, okay, I'm going to push back a little bit. Everything. So, but I mean, the animals, like in order to get to the river, they have to actually cross a road. Yes, but there's a lot of cover between Moore's Meadow uh, and the river, even if they do cross a road. Well, they... They So it's not 
crossing through housing. The minute a bear or a moose wanders through housing, what happens? People freak out and call a conservation yeah. officer. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and usually the animal is, is destroyed. Uh, if they have cover, they cross a road, there's more cover. Okay. Then they can get... Uh, so what you're talking about is wildlife corridors, connectivity. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so what Cheryl's referring to is if you develop all around moors, it essentially becomes an island. <laughs> nothing can get in, nothing can get out. Whereas if you leave areas from moors uh, that do not become housing subdivisions, then animals can travel around without accessing uh, the areas where they tend to get into trouble. So even those little um, spaces. So I live on a, a very small green belt uh, between um, the Malaspina development and College Heights. And even that strip of, of forest, as small as it is, is enough for bears and moose to get in and out without... Okay. Getting into too okay, much so trouble. You've, you've used a word there that is interesting to me: small. Yeah. Uh, because I, because some of the discussion about, oh, Steve's giving me the look. It is time for a break. We'll be back after this. The school district 57 by-election is set for June 17th, and everyone in the Prince George electoral area is encouraged to get out and vote. Glenview, Heritage, Malaspina, and Pineview Elementary Schools, along with the Van Bien Training Center, will be open from 8 to 8 for balloting. If you need to vote early, you can do so at the school district offices, 2100 Ferry Avenue, on Tuesday, again between 8 and 8. Please bring two pieces of identification to prove identity and residency. Learn about dementia from anywhere by participating in the Alzheimer's Society of BC's live Wednesday webinars. Discover specific strategies for responding to behaviors that dementia caregivers often ask about next Wednesday afternoon at 2. Registration and more details are available through the webinars section at alzbc.org. Focus on behavior, targeted strategies for word salad, confabulation and more next Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 3 from the Alzheimer's Society of BC through alzbc.org. Get your forks ready for the upcoming BC Gourmet Arts Festival. Delight your taste buds by exploring gourmet foods, take part in fun cook-off events and vote for your top taste favorites. Vendor registrations are still being accepted. Volunteer positions are also still available. Full details are available online at BC Gourmet. Gourmet.ca, featuring culinary and visual arts, food events, live music, and more. The BC Gourmet Arts Festival, Friday through Sunday at the Kin Centres in Exhibition Park. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today, a high of 31 with a very high UV index. Clear tonight and a low of 9. For Friday, a mix of sun and cloud, a high of 29 with a very high UV index. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, as always, it's sad when we take a break because we have great discussions in between. Uh, Cheryl, let's start with you. You were just saying something about in, during our break about Wilson's Park and that there was supposed to be a wraparound park that from the, like this was planned in the 60s. Actually, 80s, 90s, okay. up to 2000, and... The original plan was to have a connective green spot, green, um, what can I say, trail system from Wilson going through what used to be Fish Traps Island, which is now turned into a gravel pit, and there's uh, an agricultural area you walk through. People walk through there, and then they can access the bridge and walk across to the river park. I know a lot of people do that, and my family do. And if you go uphill from that area, you reach the gravel pit that is adjacent to Moore's Meadow Park, which is the contentious area. Now, that is 
originally supposed to have meant for a trail system for people to walk, to ski, to do what they want, and so that we don't break up our parks and they don't become disconnected. That was the original plan. That was the original plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As well, yeah. They were going to have uh, trails going up on top of uh, Prambrook Hill. And that would have been continued right on where sort of uh, in the area where Otway is right now, the huh. ski trails. But that never happened. Okay. Um, so Wilson Fish Trap Park, and we were talking before we left you, I was asking you about small because that, that was one of my concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, because the cost of infrastructure, and I'm talking about roads, sewer, mm-hmm. water, and, and these are all things, good things that we need or, you know, whatever. Um, so the cost goes up when you have to go further distances. So, I, like, I'm just playing devil's mm-hmm. advocate here. So for every park, it increases the cost of our infrastructure. Not so really. what's your answer back to that? Okay, so putting in new infrastructure is actually costly. So all the new subdivisions that are going into what are now forested areas are actually far more expensive because you're having to put in new infrastructure to service these particular homes. What Prince George is not doing particularly well is infill in areas that are currently underutilized but have existing infrastructure. So, okay, so are you talking about 30-floor apartment buildings here? Uh, you don't actually have to do that. Uh, if you, <laughs> um, now I, I'm not the planning professor who studies housing. That would be one of my <laughs> colleagues. Okay. Uh, but there are lots of different ways of doing mixed housing that have a, a combination of townhouses, uh, medium rise condos, smaller homes, things like that. If you look at what going, is going on in development where, what, in what used to be really nice green space, uh, they're usually very expensive single family homes with tiny little yards, enormous cracker backs, uh, houses that I wouldn't have touched uh, for all the money in the world because they're already falling apart. What you see, however, is people actually wanting sort of different housing. So uh, last year, my class did a study in the, uh, and one of the big issues, of course, I've heard this every time I've gone to city council, is how do we keep UNBC students in the region? Yes, yes. Uh, and there were there are two answers that my students found. One was jobs, yep. right? You need to provide them jobs that they can actually make a living at. But the second one was decent housing. Anybody coming out of university with a BA, I was in the same boat, is not going to buy a $700,000 house on Tyner Avenue. No. What you need are affordable starter homes. Sometimes you need uh, in a condo form. Sometimes you need nicely developed but affordable townhouses. The nice thing about that sort of uh, infill on existing infrastructure, and Prince George has a lot of those spaces, is one, it provides inroads for new people. People who are just coming into the job market, people who have student loans, uh, people who do not have uh, or want to take out the massive mortgages that our interest rates are starting to discourage. Yes. Yeah. And Indeed, my real fear is all those houses on Tyner, the minute mortgage rates hit 5%, you're going to see all that develop, proposed development not selling because people can't afford to get into them, right? So it's it's a mismatch. Yes, we need housing in Prince George, but we need a very specific type of housing that is very thoughtfully done. The other thing that you see is complaints about why don't people come downtown? I was looking at the apartment building downtown that was supposed to be for UNBC students and yeah. the students didn't come there. And I was thinking, did anybody ask why would students want to live downtown? They just assumed they would come. 
Okay, these are students who are not from Prince George, and a lot of uh, the people who make these decisions have never really been outside of Prince George to see alternative arrangements. Students come downtown because they have things to attract them. And the more housing mixed infill you put in with services, right, because you need to be able to access groceries, you need to access uh, other amenities like parks and areas like like this, the more people are actually going to come down. I look at some of the developments. It's a long drive to get to groceries. Uh, you were looking, half of those houses already have uh, leaky basements because that whole hillside is just one big runoff, right? But you also put a lot of money into infrastructure, which has increased the cost of those developments, as well as eliminating green space, where a more thoughtful assessment of possibilities for mixed housing, legitimate infill in Prince George would have actually provided some opportunities. Now, developers don't like it as much uh, because they don't make as much money, but the city shouldn't be in the business of uh, pleasing developers. The city should be in the business of pleasing its residents. And residents are looking for different visions of housing, different visions of green space, different amenities than I think developers and possibly City Hall is actually thinking about. Hmm. said the registered professional planner. (laughs) (laughs) So you're quoting somebody there? No, I am a registered professional planner. Are you? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. I I thought you had said earlier, well, that's not me. That's... Oh, no, I study different things for planning, but um, my colleague does a a lot of um, bylaw work. Okay, okay, all right. So, Cheryl, you were talking... So about the cost, um, about the cost of you know building around parks, and because that was sort of my mm-hmm. question to to Annie, um, do you think it's worth it to to have that extra space for the green? I mean, obviously you do, but I mean, can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that this is a very short term effort for housing, and those houses in there are not going to house anybody who's needy. No, we looked at that uh, at home. We figured out our numbers. Those houses are going to have to be like three-level houses all squeezed together on a hillside, and there hasn't done any assessment in there. Um, How do you get in and how do you get out? That infrastructure, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to extend it down the hill. There is no bus. There are no school seats. You are building on a bare site there where the moose and the bear come in. And you're talking about the end of Moore's Meadow there? Yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the dust, there's the noise, there's the traffic. You can't expand that road downward into the railroad because there is a little escarpment, and then you've got the the railroad has expanded their tracks till double the tracks down there. So there's no way you can go there. And if you move upwards, where where are you going to put your traffic um, infrastructure and where are you what are you going to do with your kids when they want to go ride their bikes because there's a lot of truck traffic on Otway Road Mm -hmm. the truck's going up and down there all the time there are no buses Mm -hmm. now I can't see standing at minus 25 if I want to get a bus out there at the end when there's nobody there on a dark and freezing night okay it just is 
not not a good plan. No. Okay. All right, we will be back for our last segment after these messages. Mess- Whether you're an accomplished ukulele player already or picking up the instrument for the first time, the ukulele jam sessions at the Prince George Public Library are a great place to get to with other players, learn some new songs, and have fun. The library will provide chord and lyric sheets, and they even have a few ukuleles on hand if you need to borrow one for the day. The ukulele jam sessions are held every second Tuesday from 4.30 to 5.30, and the next one is this Tuesday. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Getting outside makes you happy and healthy. Check out the Parks and Trails page at princegeorge.ca for a complete listing of parks, trails, sports fields, and much more. Parks are open for public use on a first-come, first-served basis. Although not required, you can reserve a popular park location in advance for a private event. The City of Prince George reminds everyone to obey all signage, respect other users, and clean up after yourself and your pets following the use of all city facilities. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, Trudy Clausen back with Cheryl Weir and Annie, Dr. Annie Booth uh, talking about the importance of urban green space and trees. Um, I want to just finish off that idea about what you were saying, small small works. We don't. Not every park has to be massive. No. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, wildlife corridors uh, do not have to be huge. They have to, just have to be enough that the animal has some privacy uh, to move around to larger areas. Now, if you don't have larger areas for them to move around to, you've eliminated the, the use of a small corridor. But essentially what a lot of ecologists advocate uh, are large areas with smaller passages between them so the animals can move around. So how long can that small passage be? Animals will travel quite a long way. It kind of depends on the animal. So okay. some animals are not going to to move very far. So but who many knows the answer to that question? Biologists. Um, I've got an, somebody here in town. Yes, we got several. Who Bruce Rogers, for example. We have okay. another biologist who are interested in connectivity. Uh, Chris Johnson up at the university. Um, there, there's quite a lot of information on that. Both of them could could speak to that. And I'm having my class uh, this year actually work on wildlife and connectivity and things like that uh, on it. So that actually allows wildlife to move around and to be able to survive in urban areas. Okay, so because what you don't want, I mean, the bare human interactions. I mean, we know mostly how to reduce those but i mean there's always the problem that of fruit and compost and all of that stuff but the idea is that the wildlife corridor helps them to Stay migrate yes. through to other areas where it's more appropriate for where them it's to more be. appropriate okay uh then fire prevention how do we prevent so with all these trees um how do we prevent becoming i mean i sometimes i look at like all the fires burning around us and it's like okay when is our turn 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and this is a year where you're really seeing uh, forest fire as an impact, an inevitable impact of climate change uh, really happening. One of the things you have to think about every time you put a subdivision in, in a, a more remote area is how are you going to protect that yeah. uh, if a forest uh, fire actually happens in the area? Uh, and that means... Do you have the water supply? Can the fire trucks get into it? Uh, the more you are th- sticking things out in subdivisions, the more vulnerable those subdivisions are uh, to fire and to other impacts as opposed to within a city because the services aren't just there, right? Well, one of my favorite things is to, when I'm uh, critiquing our modern society and the way we do things, is I think, well, wait a minute, they used to have like walls around cities. And yes, that caused other problems, but... <laughs> It would be hard for a fire, like I mean, the, that'd be you, very dull. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. To be able to do that. Um, okay, mm-hmm. sidewalks versus trails. Uh, well, trails are usually much nicer to walk on, but one of the things that you do when you have this sort of concrete out here is you're going to increase the net temperature, right? Concrete absorbs heat and then radiates it back, which actually uh, increases the, the... That's why it's always warmer in a city. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, it, they become heat sinks, essentially, uh, and this contributes to climate change. One of the things that climate change uh, adaptation uh, actually argues is increased tree cover uh, to limit the heat sink that happens that actually starts to eliminate issues like forest fire around it because the temperatures are cooler, you get a bit of a break, right? Um, now, one of the other issues around green space that's well worth noting is it is an equity issue. Generally, in areas where lower-income people live, you see less tree cover. You mm-hmm. can actually look at a satellite picture and see where the uh, well-off people live more tree cover was left. Yeah. Uh, and so what it does is mean that uh, poorer people get worse impacts from heat. Uh, and remember, you know, we have a lot of heat-related deaths these days because air conditioning uh, doesn't take up. You get brownouts, you know, electrical grids go down. The more you eliminate tree cover, the more you make the city starting with poor people, but eventually affecting all of us, far more vulnerable to some very negative impacts, not just forest fires, but heat-related death, heat-related illness, um, increased electrical draws. People try to keep themselves cool, uh, which means increasing number of brownouts. Eventually, the electrical grid gets overwhelmed. All right. Well, you were taking some pot shots at Toronto. And so Actually, I'm, I could take some pot shots at Prince George right I'm now. Sure, yes, no, no, but I wanted to respond to my yes. experience uh, because I took a personal day in Toronto um, and I walked from the Ossington Shopping Centre to Sp- Spadina mm-hmm. and I was just, I was uh, carrying my backpack and I was just feeling like, oh, okay, I'm tired, I could use the rest and there was a bench mm-hmm. with trees mm-hmm. and it was warm out. I sat down, had a rest and then and I walked some more. Downtown Toronto. Yeah, and then I walked some more. And I was like, oh, I'm getting tired. My backpack is heavy. And there was another bench with trees. And then I, and then I walked a little bit further, and there were a number of benches in a little park. And I was like, okay, this is what you're talking about. Yes, but that's not Markham. That is not North York. That is not uh, Mississauga. That is not areas and where development was- has been rushed. Right? That is old Toronto, downtown Toronto, which I agree is really very nice. I, I happen to like that part of Toronto. Uh, it's the rust of it around yes. that is making Toronto well, unlivable. But I mean, that is what, like, because I, the reason I did, I took that personal day is I wanted to spend some time taking mm-hmm. transit and just seeing, okay, so how have they done things? And like, I was like, okay, I think this is what you're talking about. Like people like Dr. Booth. Yes. Uh, what I would not like to see is, is Prince George strive to become Markham. 
Many of the oh, virtues I of Prince. Not familiar with Markham, so it's just wall-to-wall subdivision. Yeah. Uh, houses, streets, houses, streets, a few sidewalks, a couple of schools. What Prince George has that makes it very unique is that green space and is the urban wildlife intersticed uh, throughout the the neighborhoods. All right, that's valuable and should be kept. Okay. Last word or song to you, Cheryl. You have a bird song to share with us. Oh, well, would you like to hear what it is like? Because music is very healing for the soul. And if you listen to bird song, it sounds a whole lot of like the chords you will find in the music that people create. So here's what it sounds like in the middle. All right. Oh, that was a very. Well, do we want to? Can we hear that? All right. Well, if you can't hear that, if you're listening to this to the radio show here, then you will have to go out into Meadows more yourself. Meadows Park. Yeah, we just. It's much nicer when it's live. <laughs> All right. No okay. Way. Well, oh, thank that's you, Cheryl. Too bad. That's, that's that is too sad. Well, that I mean, we the can mic- hear it in the studio oh, here, no. and it's very beautiful. Well, microphones are are, are not natural things. <laughs> you really have to be outside. <laughs> Good argument. There's a great pitch there from Cheryl. Thank you so much, ladies, for coming in, and um, I I hope that you have a lovely day and get a chance to be out in the park again. Thank you. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by local organizations like the Multicultural Heritage Society. Check them out online at MulticulturalHeritage.com.